Catholics, we usually freak out when our neighbors ask us, when were you saved? That's because for us, conversion is not a single moment. It's a lifelong process. Today, we'll hear the story of what seems to be an instantaneous conversion, the conversion of St. Paul. But was it really as instantaneous as it sounds? I don't think so. So before we go any further, let's spend a few moments thinking about our own life stories. So I'm going to ask you to do a couple things you're not used to doing, to laugh if I say something you think is funny. Well, I guess that wasn't funny. (laughs) But right now, I'd like to ask you to close your eyes. Think about your life right now. What are those activities, topics, and hobbies that give your life meaning? What are those things that take you outside of yourself? There are a lot of different words that people use for such interests, but today let's call them passions. What are the passions that define you? Now take that list of activities, interests, and hobbies and go back in time. Did you exhibit any of these passions at an early age, perhaps in childhood or as a teenager? That particular passion may have shown itself in a very different way back then. Can you think of a passion of yours that has been part of you for most of your life? How has this passion changed and transformed itself over the years? How has it changed and transformed you? When most of us think of St. Paul, we imagine him experiencing a lightning bolt conversion moment. But that's not the case. Paul was passionate for living in right relationship with God, even before his great Damascus moment. And Paul, or Saul as he was called back then, needed to have such passion to overcome the obstacles in giving his life to the Lord. He grew up in Asia Minor, far from the Jerusalem temple. As a Benjaminite, he couldn't become a Levitical priest. He lacked the wealth and influence to become a Sadducee. That left one option, to try to become a Pharisee. Pharisees had relatively little power, so they had to win over Jews to their ways of thinking through persuasive arguments. And to do that, they had to know the law inside and out. Even though Saul did not grow up in Jerusalem, and even though he came late to being a Pharisee, he had the intelligence and the passion to catch up and excel as a Pharisee. Now, there were always rabbis who were unassociated with the Pharisees or the Sadducees, who had their own sets of disciples. But there was one group that really got under Saul's skin, the people who followed Jesus of Nazareth. Like all Pharisees, Saul believed in the resurrection of the body, but Saul could not imagine that a charlatan like Jesus would be rewarded by God with resurrection. So what exactly happened in that moment on the road to Damascus? As a scripture scholar, Saul certainly knew that he was experiencing what's called a theophany, an appearance of God. Maybe from his knowledge of the burning bush and the vision of Isaiah, Saul was expecting God to praise him for living in right relationship with God. 
Instead, Saul received a huge shock. He learned that he'd been working against God's plan. The Christians were right. Jesus had risen from the dead. Not only that, Jesus was Lord. So how could Saul possibly be ready for baptism so quickly after his world was turned upside down? Through three days of not eating, not seeing, and probably not sleeping, Saul realized that he already had the right skill set to spread Christ's gospel. He had dedicated his life to God. He knew the scriptures forwards and backwards. He was trained in rhetoric. He could draw on his Greco-Roman upbringing as he traveled through the empire while still being a dedicated Jew. What we think of Saul's readiness depends on how we understand the nature of conversion. We as Catholics believe conversion is a lifelong process. Saul had been prepared for this mission by God from before he was knit in his mother's womb. This was just the moment where something new clicked into place in his understanding of the nature of his mission. So, think back to the beginning of Mass. Think about your passions that you reflected upon. How have your passions evolved over time? How do they help you understand who God calls you to be? Can any of your passions be used to serve the gospel? I've played the piano since I was in first grade. And I soon spent a lot of my free time in school playing various musical instruments in orchestras and bands. If you asked me back then why I did it, I probably would have just shrugged my shoulders. But once I got to college and began singing in choirs, I discovered the real reason for my passion for music. It was because I wanted to share the message with other people. And now... I'm a preacher. I have this special opportunity to share the message of the gospel every day with other people. I'm convinced that God placed this zeal for music in me all those years ago so that I could eventually serve the gospel with it. It took me half a lifetime to recognize how God had been inviting me closer to him. But of course, conversion is a lifelong process. So how have your passions evolved over time? Can you discern the Holy Spirit in this evolution? Perhaps Frederick Buechner said it best, vocation is the place where our deepest gladness meets the world's greatest need. Pope Francis has declared this to be the year of consecrated life. A time for us to celebrate the gifts that religious sisters, brothers, and priests bring to the church. As Paul says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, that is, different kinds of passions, but the same spirit. There are different forms of service, that is, different vocations, but the same Lord. When God invited me to consider priesthood after seven years as an optical engineer, I was shocked 
It took me a long time to discern that God was calling me to religious life. But my three years as a Paulist priest have been among the happiest of my life. To quote several places in the New Testament, serving the gospel for me has made my joy complete. Not everyone is called to consecrated life, of course, but perhaps you can do two things to help support those of us living it. First of all, when you hear people speculate that nuns, brothers, and priests must lead lonely and empty lives, tell them that they are wrong. That was supposed to be a laugh line, too. Okay, I'm in campus ministry, and I'm more awake than you. My life is filled with a remarkable sense of purpose, and it's certainly not lonely. I spend my days and nights with the students sharing deeply with people from a wide variety of life experiences. And then I return to a home that I share with three of my brother Paulist priests. The second thing you can do, encourage young men and women of faith to consider religious life. Think about it. Everybody grows up experiencing something about married life. Most of us had parents. And our friends and families have married couples in them. You've probably read a book or two, seen a movie or a TV show about married life. But no one grows up in a seminary or a convent, or if they do, that's an occasion of scandal. When God invites a young man or a young woman to consider religious life, they might feel as if they've been knocked off a horse and blinded. They need people like you to be the Ananiases in their life, to be the companions as they try to find their way. For all Christian people, conversion never ends in this lifetime. As Paul wrote to the Philippians more than 20 years after his faithful journey to Damascus, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of spiritual perfection. But one thing I do, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. So, let us pray. God, there are times when our lives seem to consist only of disparate actions without greater purpose. Yet we know that you weave all things into a beautiful tapestry of praise. May your spirit guide us, like St. Paul, to work through our temporary blindnesses. May we walk. May we work. May we live in an ever more mature understanding of how our passions serve your gospel. Amen. <clears throat>